step inside my living room Share a little talk By roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height in the hat, put it all in the hat. Hello, and welcome back to Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig, and I am in my house <laughs> uh, for the sixth episode of this, a very new bo- uh, podcast. Um, I'm really excited. And if you've wondered what I'm sort of trying to do here, the essence of this podcast is to create an environment really which would be similar to what you do at 12 o'clock at night when you're having this phenomenal schmooze with someone whom you love or someone whom you like very, very much, and or even maybe someone that you just met, and that discussion goes on for a long time. I want to create an environment here whereby people talk about who they are they expose who they are in a safe way and the listeners say oh you know what that's me too i I thought i was alone in this i want to create a community of listeners and i want to create an environment which is positive i keep reading stuff and seeing stuff on the news which is so negative which is so sad and i keep thinking to myself do i really need to know that a bus went over a cliff in Chile and kill three people. I don't. I don't. But yet the news industry foists that upon us. What I want to foist upon you (laughs) is positivity, beautiful stories, the stories of the side of us which helped to win wars, which create a community whereby people come together unified. We're like brothers and sisters. And that's not funny. It's not. It's serious. And it's very, very true. This world exists because of goodness. I'm completely, completely convinced of that. You know, Hat Radio is a lot of things. It's intense. It's introspective. It's also very yummy and tasty. In that light, I met up with my dear old friend most recently, Marty Gallen. And we used to be Marty and Avram, the food guys. And we decided for Hat Radio to do a one-minute food bite for your edification. So listen and feel free to comment. Hi, this is Avram. Hi, this is Marty. And Marty, you know what? I think that people will return to a restaurant if the food is good. After all, that's why we go to begin with. We want a different type of meal, one that's tasty and made well. Why do you think people go back to restaurants? I think a lot of people go back to restaurants because of the ambience. They love the atmosphere. They love the feelings. And maybe, you know, the waitress, their favorite waitress is there serving them. So they enjoy seeing a familiar face. And, of course, some people will say that they go back for the ambiance, right. to look around, see the beauty and the creativity of the restaurant. But you say it could be the service. I say it could be the food. And, of course, there are those who say the ambiance. I think uh, it's all combined. And I think, uh, you know, if, if the food is not good, of course, it's a, it's a problem. But sitting there for an hour or two, you really want to enjoy the atmosphere and have somebody take care of you. You've been listening to Marty and Avram. The Food Guys. 
Um, I'm going to bring in my very dear friend who is our interviewee together. And before we get into her life, we're just going to schmooze a little bit back and forth about the nature of the world in which we live. And then we're going to dive into her most fantastic history. Her name is Roz Jalade. Hi, Roz. Hi, Avram. Thanks for having me. A dear, dear friend whom I love very much and someone whom I'm deeply inspired by because of the evolution of her life and what she has created. She's created a nonprofit having to do with cats and got out there in the world and changed the paradigm that uh, previously existed to make the lives of thousands of cats, and I would argue thousands of people, better. So, Ross, I'm really excited to have you. I'm excited for the interview. Thank you. Okay, ju just a few things. I want you to know that um, two interviews ago, I, I, I spoke with Kitty Cohen. She's 106 years old. Wow. Yeah. Who's the oldest person you ever met? I think my grandmother, who was 94. She passed, right? Yeah, she passed. What a lovely, elegant woman she was. Yes, she was. So, so, so that's the thing about older people. Very often, they're very elegant. Well, Kitty's very spry, and I'll be honest with you, she kind of kick ass. <laughs> Amazing. I have to tell you I have to tell you a funny story. I went to visit her this Shabbat with my son at a senior's home. <laughs> I'm talking to Kitty and I see this other woman roll up. You know how they're all rolling, right? Yeah. That's going to be us. <laughs> you know it's going to be us, right? We're I going to go, "Oh, I really like your 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 roller. What do they call those things? Walkers." Yeah, I'm going to get a roll of blades when I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see. Yeah. Okay, we'll see. So this older woman walks up and she goes beeline to my son. He's 12 years old. And 12-year-old you know, boys are goofy. And she says to him, oh, hello, dear. How are you? You know, and he goes, oh, fine, thank you. How are you? He's a lovely kid. And um, she starts talking about something in her life, how her grandson came to visit. And then she stops. <laughs> and she looks at him and she goes, you know, I can't remember what I was saying. <laughs> and I... <laughs> And I'm hearing this, right? And she's cool with it. It's like she's not morose or anything. She understands who she is. And, and what does Noah do, a 12-year-old? He has no idea. And he's sitting, oh, oh okay. Um, I, I don't remember either. So I, I'm just letting this happen, right? But eventually I dove in and, yeah. I, and, and I yeah. just tried to take the conversation another way. But I just thought it was such a beautiful thing to introduce my son to an environment like that where, whereby he can grow, right? Yeah, and that's sweet, the way he reacted. I thought he so too. He went right with it. He just went with her. I he thought just so followed too. Followed her, yeah. Right. That was really nice. Yeah. Well, he's a beautiful boy. Yeah. And you have to expose children to seniors. Yes. And I think other children as well, right? Yeah. And pets. And, 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 and oh yes. Yeah. What am I thinking here? Um. So it was great to see Kitty, and she sends everybody's regards. Um. You know what? I I the previous interview with Ellie Rubenstein, and this is not meant to put any pressure on yeah, you. Yeah, of course not. He has like four hundred downloads. Really, he's like the Pied Piper of Ellie everything. Ellie Rubenstein is like amazing. Hasn't he? What, what he's done and what he's Sickening. gone through in his life and what he stands for. I know. Yeah. Did you hear the podcast? I haven't heard it. I will listen to it, but he's just an all-around great guy. Have I you mean, heard any of the? Podcast? I know what he's been done. I'm sorry. Not no, one. I don't even know where to find it, to be uh, honest. I thought we were closer. <laughs> I thought so, too. <laughs> Anyways, this well, might maybe be... maybe after this. It might be a good thing, close. by the way, because you have a clean slate. Yeah. But Ellie has close to 400 listeners. His number spiked Hat Radio in a way that you couldn't imagine. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, He's uh, changing it, people's lives every day. Yeah. His stories are riveting. Listen to the show, um, because you're going to hear some really poignant worthwhile stuff 
stories about survivors yeah. through survivors yeah. ellie's all about channeling like he's the vessel um and uh one one story you should really listen to is you were my eyes it's a mother telling her child you were my eyes and i'm gonna leave it at that okay, okay? but it's stuff that makes you cry yeah, it's really worth. Yeah, yeah, it's really worthwhile. Listen to Ellie because he um, he's talking about the Holocaust and he's talking about survivors. He's talking about courage and bravery. And I tell you something, Roz. I don't know how you feel, but I feel like in our environment today, we need to muster up courage and bravery as Jews. So do I. You feel totally. that way too? It's for sure. I agree with that. I, I don't know if um, I ever told you this, but I had a little instance with anti-Semitism no, a couple of years that. ago. I, I never know. in my life had it. What happened? I was with a friend at, um, actually, we went to see Jane Goodall, which was, I cried through the entire thing. But Jane was, Goodall is? Is a famous... Um, advocate for gorillas. Advocate for gorillas and all kinds of primates. And... She, I mean, I went to see her. She's telling her story, and I just sat there crying through the entire thing. After the show, we got a chance to meet her. Yes. So we were standing in line, and um, there was two people in front of us, and I saw my friend talking to one of them, and she had a, like, you know, a booklet that she wanted Jane Goodall to sign. So I said, can I see it? So, you know, it was a joke. She gave it to me, and you ever, someone gives you something, you go, okay, thanks, and you walk away? Like, just as a joke. You turn away. So she goes... What are you Jewish? I had never heard that in my life. I was in my 40s. So I just looked at her and I said, yes, we are Jewish. You have a problem with that? Like I got really defensive. I said, yeah, I'm Jewish. And what is the, you have an issue? And she right away said, oh, no. Um, You know, it was very uncomfortable. Everyone was not talking except me. My friend was silent. And I'm looking at her like, say something. Anyways, the conversation ended. We went home. A week later, my girlfriend texted me and said that the woman that had said that had yeah. texted her because yeah. they had exchanged texts and apologized and said, can you please tell your friend how sorry I am? Yeah. She was so kind to me, and I'm so sorry. But she said, I'm, I can't remember what race she was, but she said that she's been put down her whole life like that, and that's why she did it to someone else. So not a mean person, someone who came back to apologize, saw what she did. But you saw her jerk reaction was to put someone else down because she's been put down. That's classic. You know, I uh, had a a friend when I was growing up. Helmut was his name. I come from Kitchener, which used to be called Little Berlin. And one day we were walking to school. He and I got hamsters together. The the next day, my hamster had like 12 babies. (gasps) You you know what the hamster did with the babies? Don't tell me. She ate them. Yeah, she ate them. Yeah. All of them? Yeah, all of them. Because my dog kept sticking his nose oh my god near the cage i know rum ha- ha- i know hamsters eat their baby to protect thank god humans don't do that yeah. most of us would have been eaten by now yeah well it <laughs> might not have been such a terrible thing for some of us oh here we go okay okay <laughs> anyways uh so helmet we're walking to school and he says to me hitler didn't finish his job <gasps> and like i barely what? knew what that meant of course at that age yeah man like same thing as you looking at what Anyways, long and short of it, next day he apologizes to me, which I couldn't figure out to this day because mm-hmm. where did he pick that up? Yeah. Most likely from his parents? From his parents, from a friend. From, from a- the schoolyard? Yeah. Right. So so I'm figuring his, he told me his parents told him he had to apologize. 
But still, it was devastating. It's hard to come back from it. But really, the point is, you know, there are anti-Semites, card-carrying yeah. anti-Semites, yes, and then a little less than that. Yeah. And then there are people, Ross, who are not anti-Semites at all. No. But they'll say stuff like, oh, I was Jewed. I know. I never heard that till recently. Really? That was such a weird saying. Yeah. That's like, hey, aren't you Jewish? Because, yeah, I'd be honest. I think I told you this a few, couple of years ago. Remember when ISIS was, I called you. Remember how scared I was? Yes. I was starting to think that. You know, as a Jewish person, we're going to be like in trouble again. I, well, there are a lot of people who are I feeling know. that. I know. So I think one of the things we need to take out of this, Roz, is that all of us have to stand up. We have to fight anti-Semitism. We have to fight racism in, of any any form, right? Yeah. And uh, and we have to fight abuse and for I'll tell people you and animals. That's all part of it. Okay, so you and I, we kind of differ there. And we'll get yeah. into that during the interview. I think we have X amount of resources, and I think it's extraordinarily important that we protect animals, and we're good to them. Uh-huh. I say that's because we need to be good as human beings. Yeah. I'm not a big believer in animal rights. You are, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But right now, let's just focus for a second on, on people, okay? Sure. I mean, you, you've inspired me in many ways having to do with animals, as has my son, right? Because he's you. an animal activist. Yeah, you have. You have. But... But what I'm saying is we need to stand up and be courageous and brave. We need to be righteous Jews and righteous Gentiles, regardless of whether we were taught that as a child or not. Mm -hmm. Every single human being, when they see racism, when they see anti-Semitism, they have to shout back against it. They have to. Or they have to take on an issue or a cause that is fighting, uh, that fights individuals who for whatever reason are angry are are are, and i would even argue probably very depressed in their life and therefore they take it out on others by putting people down jews in our case they're putting themselves up right right it's like michelle obama said they go low you go high yeah that's the theory right somebody who puts you down is obviously someone who's very put down themselves like that woman who apologized to us Yes. She admitted because I've been bullied, my, you know, I'm going to do it to someone else. Yes. But it's different when somebody apologizes right away and understands. Like that kid that went home, that kid that apologized to you, obviously something in that kid stayed with him that he went home to even tell his parents what he said to you. Yes. So he must have had a glimmer of guilt or felt badly, even though he might not have understood the ramifications of it. I'm not sure of the machinations of that situation, but, but what I have learned over the years is that I've been with some non-Jewish friends who have said ostensibly anti-Semitic things, and I haven't construed them as such. No, no, no. There's a part of our culture where we take shots at each other. Yeah. Um, although there is a line, there is a line. We do not use the N word. We just don't. No, we don't. Right? Yeah. We don't. It's funny. We use the Jew word, though. Not us, but other people do. G is what? Jew. They use the, the oh J J J the J word. I know. They and use that more than the N-word. Uh, more often uh, now, and that's really troubling. So yeah. let's all stand up, choose an issue, do not back down, do not get too comfortable. Our life is short. We're on this earth for a very, very, very right. limited amount of time. Let's fight when we have to. And, and we learned that from Holocaust education, so yeah. let's do that. So just a couple things. Uh, Viva Rasky, who's a cantor at Haboni, made a 60th birthday for our dear friend Ellie. <gasps> 18 people were there. She has wow. a stunning house. It was very elegant. Ellie's 60? I know. Oh. Uh, Ellie's 60. How, Happy how, birthday, how old, Ellie. How old are you? 56. How old do you feel in your head? 26. 
You do, eh? You feel I've always said that there's, an, um, I've always asked my parents since the youngest age, is there a mistake on my on my birth certificate? Because I think I've told you my 10-year rule. I've always felt like I'm 10 years younger, that there's been a mistake, but apparently there's no mistake. Like in your head, are you convinced that's the truth? I think I've convinced myself that I want it to be the truth. I think in my heart, I know it's not the truth, but I hold on to it. I love that. There was just a guy in the news who yeah. I think went to court to fight to make himself younger. What? And he, and I looked at it and thought, like, what an idiot! Why are you wasting your time? But then I thought, mm, that's there's kind of something interesting about that. How can you even that. do that in the universe, though? You can do anything nowadays. Just go to court. You know. When I first got divorced, I was going to change my name. I was so, going to use my middle name. Uh, Amanda. Yeah. Yeah. How so you're you right. You could do that. I wanted a different persona. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And why didn't you change it? I didn't because I thought, mm, what am I doing? Like, I'm Rosalind. Everyone knows me as Roz. Yeah. Let's change our names. <laughs> okay. I'll take on your name. You take on okay. mine. Call me Roz. <laughs> Roz. Hello, Roz. Last thing before we talk yeah. about you, and I'm excited about talking about you. Um, Jimmy Ben Simon, I met with him yeah. yesterday. He's yeah. a marketing guy, social media. A very, very rich inner life this man has. We sat and talked for two hours. Wow. You know when you go to a meeting and you're meeting about a particular instance, something yeah. that's happening, yeah, you yeah. want to rescue cats and you have to set up a dynamic to do it, in, but you end up talking to the person the whole time about who they are. Yes, yeah. Oh, those are the greatest meetings. Those are the greatest, yeah. Yeah. Of course, learning about people. and I think you're right about what you said in the beginning. I think everybody feels almost the same things in different ways, and it's so important that we connect and understand that there's other people who yeah. understand and that we can, we're not alone. Because I think that's so much of, especially today, the isolation, yes. even with social media, which is so interesting. Yes. Everything's out there, but now we're more in, inner. It's, yeah, like a, it's, it's, it's very it's true. such a crazy dynamic. So, so, so Jimmy yeah. is going to, uh, we have a meeting next week and we're going to, uh, he's mapping out a strategy for social marketing for radio. Like, I'm taking this very seriously, and yeah. I really want it to go far. But uh, Jimmy used to live in Brazil, and he uh, it can be a very violent environment, but he qualifies it as being a most beautiful environment as well. He says the people are extraordinarily warm. I don't know about you, but I don't find Canada to be a warm place, like the people. Well, Toronto, definitely not. not I'm, I'm a right? Montrealer, so you have to understand. Yeah. I, I've told you all my stories about... Yeah, about how people, when I talk to them in Toronto, they're like, you're not from Toronto because... Right. I think it's a generalization. I think you and I have discussed, if you smile at somebody, they will smile back. They will. If you say hello, they will say hello back. It doesn't mean they're going to smile and say hello first, but if you do it, nine out of ten people will return. Yeah, listen, I'm really excited about immigration en masse because it's bringing in cultures that are so yeah. really warm yeah. and embracing, right? Everybody always looks totally. at it. Totally. Immigrants are violent, and so nonsense. Yeah. Most immigrants are hardworking people. They want to make a life for they, them and their children, and That's they're right. fun and, and they love to and feast. Good, right, yeah. and they want a better life for their kids. That's all, which is I think motivating them to come here. So Jimmy, yeah. <laughs> Jim, Jimmy was mugged on the streets of Brazil, uh, the capital city, and 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 this guy comes up to him and he has a knife to his back. <gasps> I mean, it's not funny, but yeah. Um, and he says, give me all the money you have. Jimmy goes, look, I'm sorry. I only have like 100 rios, I think it's called, rios. So he gives him the money, and the guy says to him, look, I'm really sorry that I'm mugging you. But he goes, my wife is very sick. My son needs an operation. Jimmy says, don't worry about it. You don't need to tell me this. He just wants, you know, and someone has a knife at your back. I've never heard such a 
story where a guy's apologizing. Right. And, and the guy says to him, look, uh, let me take you to a coffee stall or shop because in, in Brazil it's plastered with coffee shops. Jimmy says, no, it's okay, man. You don't have to. He goes, no, no, no I want to explain this to you. So he takes him and he sits with him. So and he, he robbed him. Yeah. He apologized. And yeah. now he wants to take him take for, for coffee. coffee. What a great guy. <laughs> Love to meet this guy. I mean, you want to be mugged by the guy, right? <laughs> here, here, you got my back. That's amazing. Right. So so anyways, he takes him there. And he, again, he explains to him all the uh, dynamics in his family yeah. and how bad things are. And, and, and finally, when they're finished, uh, he says to him, listen, I want to pay for the coffee. <laughs> so Jimmy's thinking, you're paying for the coffee, the money I just gave you. <laughs> 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 he says, no, I want to pay for the coffee. Jimmy says, okay. <laughs> and he paid for the coffee and that was it. And that was it. Yeah. Yeah. What an incredible story. I heard a story like that, by the way. Uh, I read it in Haaretz or the Jerusalem Post where a guy comes home to his apartment and there's a thief. I don't really, you don't want to qualify. Maybe I'm sure yeah. he was much more than a thief. There was a man in his apartment who was stealing, right? Anyways, he starts saying to him, Matosa in Hebrew, what are you doing? And they all of a sudden start to create this dialogue between them, right? And they start to talk. And he says, it's wrong for you to come into my apartment and steal. And the guy's starting to feel really badly. So they they create this sort of relationship and they become friends. <laughs> so you know what this tells me? And this this is so true. I've always felt it. Embrace the thief. Be, you can be a good person, a moral person. And when you're put in extreme circumstances, yeah, you will yeah, react in a way yeah. that people will judge you in a very unfavorable way. But uh, it can uh, happen to any of us. Oh, man. Like I desperation can do that. You, Ellie Wiesel, I think it was in, in, in his book, uh, Night, talks about yeah. how a father and son were going at each other violently for a piece of bread. And that really qualified your point. A father to a son, See like beating the crap out yeah. of each other, yeah. right? And yeah. those are extreme circumstances, right? That's why I've always really tried to think there is good in everybody. It's your circumstance. It's sometimes your mental, um, what's happening mentally, socially, spiritually. I do think there's evil right. too, but I don't think, like that, to, I mean, that story about being robbed, I'm going to remember that. That is just an incredible it story. Is. It is. Something that I would probably do if I robbed somebody. You, Apologize you, to them. You have these very <laughs> unique situations. You probably would, actually. You have these unique situations in the world yeah. where, I mean, I know a lot about the Jewish world because that's, I yeah. read a lot about it. But you know the situation where a rabbi uh, uh, challenged a KKK guy or a white supremacist. Wow. And obviously in the beginning... When they were talking on the phone, the white supremacist told him to f off. But eventually, it evolved, and this guy ultimately gave up his white supremacy. Amazing. Yeah, and I think he even converted to Judaism. Like these are crazy stories, yeah, yeah. See, but, we but don't they hear happen. Them. We don't hear them. We have to look for them. We have to look for them. Hundred yeah, yeah. percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, Roz, you were born in yeah. London. By the way, I just want to say I really like your glasses. You do like my glasses? Yeah. Nice Look, color. So my response should not be what it's about to be. Okay. But I'm going to say it anyways because I don't know. I seem to have a predilection. It's sort of putting myself down a little bit. I don't know why I do this. But uh, they're like eight bucks. And, you know, it doesn't even matter. People tell me all the time when somebody compliments or says they like that, just, just say thank you. You should. I used to always say, oh, it's nothing. I just I, got I know. it for $2. Yeah. Yeah. No, but they look really nice on you. Do the they? color's really nice. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, lightens your face. Uh, thank you so yeah. much, Russ. Right. So, um... You're born in London, yeah. and of all the stories you tell me, you you're adorable. 
You really are. You, you you are adorable, and I can only only imagine what you were like as a little girl. Like you were probably really small, right? I was because really you're small. How what are you five two? What are I'm you five two? Five I was two. so small. There's a picture of me which I should have brought you that I was a bridesmaid in one of my aunt's weddings, and I mean everyone's this. You can't see me, but my hands up and tall, tall, and then you see this tiny little thing with this little smile on her face. Um, I was tiny. It was very embarrassing. Uh, embarrassing to be tiny? Yeah. Is it I, still? I wish I, I always wished I was five, six, five, seven. But is, is, is your size ever an issue in any environment? No. My mom from a young age told me good things come in small packages. She's right. And also, I have to say over my rescue career, it's really helped. Because you can in, get into small holes. I've been in dumpsters. I've been in smaller places. Yeah, I could get in and out of places. Yeah. There you go. Half gl- the glass is half full. Yeah. So, so, so you're born in London. Your parents leave there when you're 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 very young. How old are you? When yeah, you're... I was eight. So I was born in Hounslow, Middlesex, which is a southern part of England. Okay. Um, and my pa- from what I can from the stories that I know and I've talked about, my father was a hairdresser, and he had his own hairdressing store. And apparently, I used to go there as a kid. Yeah. And um, walk around and stuff, and um. It's interesting. I just learned a story recently. I always thought it was, you know, they weren't doing well. They wanted to come. I found out recently that my mother's father had taken her. My mother's father, my grandfather, Olaf Shalom, who I never met, took her. Thank you. Took her to Canada on a business trip. And my mother fell in love with Canada because my mother's a real go-getter. Yes. And um, a few months later, you know, she started talking to my father. You know, things aren't going well here, so let's try. And then my aunt, my father's sister, was living here in Montreal. That's the other reason. She was going through a hard time. And um, they just decided to move. I mean, I wasn't part of it at all. I I had no idea. I just have a few memories of leaving. One or two memories, that's it. Literally, one or two memories of me being right. in the car, driving away uh. from the street. And then my neighbor, Lawrence, who was a friend of mine, gave me this little, I'll never forget, this little... Like a pendant? It was or like a pin cushion, but it was the shape of a shoe, and I loved it. Yes. And when I moved to Canada, we had to move in with my aunt and her kids and that, and she broke it, and it was just horrible things like that. What memories do you have of being a little girl in London, or not in London, in England? In England, the only few memories I have is playing around with my brother, running around the house, and him running running into the bedroom, and there was, into his bedroom, and on the bed, and there was scissors, and they went into his side. So my mother had to take him, I had to be babysat, to take him to the hospital. I remember also when I was little, I was lying in bed, and my brother came in his room, my room and went, realized there's something on my neck, and then there was a spider on my uh, bed. Oh, you hate spiders. Oh, today I hate them. Won't kill them anymore, though. But And little things like that. I remember driving on my dad's lap, you know, sometimes in the car. You on know, the left side. No, the right on, side. Yeah on the, yeah, on the right side. Right, right, right. Coming down the street. And as you know, as a kid, everything looks huge. It does. When I went back years later, the street was like... Tiny. Tiny. I know. I took one <laughs> step. I was at my house. As a kid, it was like 20 steps. Yeah. I also, I went back to my house in Kitchener on Lydia Street, 169 Lydia, knocked on the door. Nobody was there. Everything was open. So I walked through. What? Yeah. And then I went to the backyard where I really believe that there was an Olympic-sized uh, hill yeah. that we grew up with. Yeah. It, it was, was it was up to my knees. It was a bump, yeah. It was a bump. Yeah. So, so Roz, so, but nevertheless, despite the fact that you don't remember like huge pieces here, huge chapters of your mm-hmm. growing up years up till eight years old, you moved to Montreal, and in terms of how you've looked at this, yeah. it was very, very 
uh, traumatic for you, oh, yeah. that move, right? It was hugely traumatic. Um, I didn't adjust for a long time. My parents sent me to psychologists. Sometimes we had to go as a family yeah. because um, I guess we were all off. You know, my father went into kind of a depression. My mother was working. My brother and I were going to school. So, and I guess everyone's in their own little head trying to deal with this move. Yes. For the first, I think, four or five months, maybe three months, we lived with my aunt. And it's interesting because I remember things, and then I'm older now. My mother tells me things that my aunt wanted us out the house, but she we did. didn't know. Well, I guess it was she was going through a lot, and it was hard for her. Yes. Um, I had two cousins who um, were the two girls, and I just remember I was hiding behind my brother half the time. And you petrified. were sad. I think I was petrified and sad, yeah. Petrified is the only word I could remember. You wanted to go back? Yeah. I, I remember going to sleep at night, waking up. I remember going to sleep thinking, okay, I'm going to wake up. This is a terrible dream. I'm going to be in my bed in England. Everything's going to be fine. Never happened, ever. So I started to develop anxiety. Yes. Well, I already had. I started to develop tics. Mm-hmm. I started to think that. Someone was going to come and kill me in my bedroom. Really? Yeah. It was that bad? I had to go to a psychologist, and every night I had to look in my closet to wow. make sure there was an under my bed. These were all things to help me. I still, to be honest, I still have a few ticks to this day. Well, we all have ticks. Yeah. I mean, in my worst of times, really, my face is moving all over the place. It really is. My eyes are blinking. Really? Oh, it's not unusual at all. I'm also, I, I also have a lot of anxiety, so I totally understand. Yeah. Well, over the years that you've sort of researched this, looked into your be introspective, mm-hmm. done therapy, do a lot of kids go through this when they leave their home? Um, I would. You, you, have, you have a tear in your eye. Eh? Yeah. I'm what, sorry. What, why? I don't no, know. no. It's just sad. Don't be sorry. Not on hat radio. Um, what what saddens you? Because I, I developed this separation anxiety that I've never really gotten over. Like I, yeah. It's led into every part of my life, which has actually led me into rescue, I think. Um, no, I don't think this happens to every kid. I think it depends on who you are and how it's done. I think that there's some children that are would have looked at this, not like logically, but at some point, wow, what an opportunity. You know, we're going here, we're going there, we're going to a new place. I never looked at it like that. Like an adventure. Like an adventure, yeah. And some kids are like that, just they're like that. I was never like that. Are I you was, surprised that you weren't like that? No, I was scared from the. I was always scared. I had lots of medical issues when I was younger, and I was rushed in and out of the hospital for a few years. Right. I think that's probably also yes. was very bad. Yeah. So it's just everything together. I think also, um, I think people don't realize how much kids feed off of their family. Mm-hmm. You don't realize how much you know that. When you're upset or you're stressed, you don't realize how much your kids take it in. Mm. They're like sponges. And um, I think that's just part of it. I was always a sensitive kid. Always, always, always. So, yeah. You're kind of born with some traits. Always sensitive. So, never like change, which is like I'm like a cat. And that's what happened. Had a major change. And um, took many years. Took many years. Did a lot of things that I obviously... You know, I was rebellious. I got into bad things. Yeah. Um, but my parents always knew at the bottom. My parents always said, your foundation was good. We know you're going to come out of this. That's what they said. You, your mom had a real tough time, did she? She was an orphan at an early age, wasn't she? Yeah, very. And I didn't, never met my grandparents on their right, side. Yeah. Right. Even though I'm named after my grandmother on her side. Do you, know, you have any idea how hard it must have been for your mother 
to you know have a family, raise two children, yeah. move away from her homeland, if you will, and not have any parents. Look, I'm 58 years old, and I tell you, every single day I suffer at not having parents. And I'm 58. Yeah, I feel like an orphan at 58 years old. So I can't possibly imagine how your mother felt. Yeah, it's interesting. How old was she when she lost her parents? Do you know, she was in her 20s. Right. So it wasn't eight, but it wasn't 40. It was. She just had a new son, and yeah. Listen, I've just recently, like in my 30s and 40s, in therapy, yes. came to terms with what you just said. Yes, I have realized now what it was like because now I'm in like. What I'm going through in life, I'm imagining, imagine I have children now. Imagine I have all these responsibilities. I don't know how she did it either. I know. I don't. I wish she still suffers today in some way, but thank God everything is better today. But it must have been horrible. So you can imagine your parents are on the plane coming over from England. They got two little bambinos. You're, uh, what, eight? And how old's your brother? That eleven. Time? He's 11 years old. So they're not, even, they're not only worrying about themselves. They're not only worrying about where where and how they're going to live when they come to Montreal. Yeah. I know that you were at the aunt, but even, you know, in the yeah, long we run. we didn't come with a ton of money. Cash? How much cash did they possibly have? And here, they're taking care of you, and you got snot coming out of your nose because you're crying, right? <laughs> and the poor little thing that you are. And she has to worry about your needs same to, by the same token it of was the family. It horrible. And, she tells me stories now that we would go to the supermarket shopping. Yeah. And she only had a certain amount of money. Oy. She had to put stuff back. I mean, that's humiliating. It is humiliating, isn't it? You know how many people go through that a day in Toronto? A lot. It's so sad. I see it all the time when I'm at the store. A lot. There's a show on TV uh, or on the internet, which I was watching, and it's called What Would You Do? And they kind of set up scenarios uh, to see how the general public would respond to situations, ethical situations. And one situation was a woman comes in to buy her son a toy because he had done really well on his report card. Um. And she realized she didn't have enough money to buy the toy that he wanted. You could see that it was construed, but it didn't really matter. Yeah. And um, so she said, honey, I'm so sorry. I can't buy this toy for you. We're going to have to save up more. And then people around her would be listening. And some people responded um, by coming over to her and saying, you know what? Let me buy the toy. Yeah. Some people responded. Listen to this. Some people responded by saying, I knew it was a scam. I knew it was a scam. Right? No. Yeah. And and, and uh, this one father came in with his three boys, seemed like he didn't hear, but when he was about to leave, he picked up on the ladder uh, a part of what she was saying, and he comes over and he, and he throws down his visa card. And she goes, you don't have to do this. He goes, I know I don't have to do it, but I want to pay for it. Um, and indeed, he did. So, uh, But the point is, the point that you're making is, it's so hard to have limitations in your life that are financial. Because your child suffers when they can't have what every other child is ha- can have right, is and having, you right? Suffer as a parent. And you suffer That's as a parent. That's why my philosophy, though, is wherever I am, if I'm in a store and someone's buying something and yeah. they don't have, this happens how many times? So, a kid or someone they 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 go in their thing and they want to buy candy and they don't yeah. have enough money. I always give them the money to make do you? it up. Do I you pay? Do you pay for people sometimes? Sure. Do you? Hundred percent. You know why? Because. That's just the kind of world I live in. I like everyone should help everybody. That's yeah. the way it is. Yeah. You know what? Everyone's struggling. And I can't imagine if I have the quarter in my purse and you don't. And you don't. And you're standing there and you want this drink. And the lady goes, sorry, it's 75 cents. It does not even a thought for me. I just give you the quarter. I don't know where that came from. I don't know how I became like that. But that's how I am in everything. 
What, what do you say to yourself when you leave the store? I'm so happy I could help somebody. Like, do you, do you pat yourself on the back? Yeah, I'm so happy I could help this kid get a drink I, I or know. this person. Yeah, me too. I Because you, you want that when, if God forbid, you're in a situation. I know. The whole point is, like, I've always felt this way. Everyone, every living thing on the earth has to be helped. Everyone has to help each other, like the animals, the people, whatever, the plants. If we're, What else are you here for then? Do you think I could stand there and watch someone who doesn't have a quarter and the, the person behind goes, sorry, you can't have that drink? I'm thinking, you know, just give it to them. That's why I'm not a great business person. That's <laughs> why I would never be a great business person because I give too much. I don't want to. So, yeah, I'm sure you're like that too. Well, I, I, I've started tipping way too much. I need to cut back. But I'm thinking to myself, listen, you know what? These people work really hard. And, you know, if you get a bill for 14 bucks, what, you can leave it a buck and a half? Like, what is that? You know, they don't work any less because you're paying $14 versus 35 or $40. I just feel You got to like be careful, though. You do. But if you have the means, I'm not taking out $10,000. If you have the means yeah. to help somebody even a little bit during a day. Yeah. That's to me what it's all about. I know, I know. It doesn't I know. have to be big. I totally agree with it's you. It's opening a door. It's helping a woman, a lady with a bag. It's just so many things. I mean, I can't, every day you do how many of them? So, so, so you ju let's jump forward here. So you, you eventually make your way to Toronto. Yeah. Again, there's stressful times in your family. Your parents yeah. are always working really hard to make things good. Your mom's an amazing human being, just as your father is, by yes. the way. But your mom's like entrepreneurial. Yeah. She's the type of woman who she saw like, oh, man, there's a lot of muck in my world. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to keep my head up and just move <laughs> forward. And ultimately, yeah. your mom launched a business. Your mom launched a, a minute-taking business. Yeah. Like they, We're talking years later. We're yeah. going to skip yeah, a little sure. bit of your childhood. Yeah. yeah, minutes by minute. You must be blown away by your mother's ability to do that. Because nobody taught her to do that, right? Nobody taught her to do it. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm always proud of my mother. She's. I got a trait from my mother, unfortunately, that she doesn't think very... She doesn't think she's done anything. Yeah. So I do the same thing. And then I say, but you've done so much. Like I tell her, you know? Um. Yeah, my mother was a very entrepreneurial, and she, this business—I mean, it was so—it she it was so great. She was able to sell it, and now they're retired. Minute taking, right? Minute taking. Well, what is that? Well, like, what did you guys do? Professional minute taking for condominium boards. You sit there and, and listen to their meetings and write down what they were saying. Well, minute taking is is more about just writing everything down. It's it's being able to go into a meeting, listen to a conversation, assess it, you know, wrap it up if there's any decisions or actions put that so it's, it's an art it's actually an art people think minute taking is sitting there and writing what people are saying that's not minute taking it's an art it's an art so that you can go back any time after this meeting whether it's a year 10 years and you would get a shot in time a shot in time of what was going on in the corporation at that moment a snippet snippet did you ever hear like crazy shit oh yeah did you like what give me an example like grow ops cops kicking doors down for <laughs> domestic abuse um the worst is when people leaving their animals in a place. That sucks. But, oh, yeah. Grow-ups were one of the biggest things. Right. And I, they had no idea what was going on, yeah. Growing marijuana. Yeah. But what were the people generally around the table like? Like, I'm thinking of condominium boards, and I'm thinking, they're, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but older folks, yeah, angry. They're yeah. always angry. Yeah, yeah. They're retired, angry. They have nothing else in their life, so they want to, yeah. No, the boards have changed today. Today, you see more professionals sitting on the boards because more people are now concerned. Okay. Right? It's not the old days when I used to take minutes where, you're right, I used to take minutes for Brene Brith. 
all the old guys would be sitting around. It was great. It was like so much fun. Kotchkas. And they you loved know? you, right? They loved me. Come on over here, Roz. Yeah. Let me put my arm around you, right? Yeah. Les Aaron used to sit on that board, too. He's a Remember good guy. Him? He's yeah. an actor, real estate guy. Yeah. So he, um, so the, those were the fun days. But the boards have changed now. You, you're seeing, because more people are more scared about their investment. Yes, yes. You know? And okay. it's no more, you can't get on the board anymore to kind of push forward your agenda anymore. That's what some people would do. So, so here's the thing. So, so you end up in your mother's minute to minute. It's called minute, minute by minute. Yeah. And you're right. You're, you're taking minutes. And, and the cool thing about you is I know you didn't like it because it's not really per your character. But you did it anyways. You did it because of your mom. And also you did it because you need to make a living. I did it because I need to make a living. And I also wanted to do it for the family. You did I it for the family. I wanted my parents. I, I, want my pa- I wanted my parents to be able to not have the stress of running it every day. My mom was getting older. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I wanted them to have the business. You're a great daughter. Thank you. Do, do you think you are? Lately, not so much. But yes, I am. Because I think what I did is I made a pact with myself years ago. Because I was really a bratty kid. I got into a lot of trouble. I scared the crap out of my parents a few times yeah. really badly. Yeah. Like not coming home at night. Right. Not calling. Things that I shudder to even think I could do that to somebody that I love. And I made a vow that I was going to be good and I was going to take care of them and whatever it took. It's cool because, I mean, your brother's in San Francisco yeah. and you're here. So for all intents and purposes, you're like an only child yeah. while you're here, only like, child while, while your brother's yeah. there. And only children have a hard time because they have a responsibility to take care of their two parents all the time. And no matter what parents say, you know, we'll take care of ourselves. The fact of the matter is you end up taking care of your parents. If you need you to get over there because they call you and something, God forbid, is not right, you get over there. And that's the older they get, the more it happens. Yes. You know that, right? Yes. You've been through it. I have. Yeah. I have. But yeah. you're also you're also lucky because you still have both parents. They should be well. I've been blessed. I, oh, thank I God. I really think that's part of the universe's Every Friday night, way are of, you with them on Shabbat? Not as much anymore that my grandmother's not around, but I really feel that was the universe's way and keeping my grandmother alive of consolation of not having children. Yes. I'm not sure. So I'm in other words, you you have there's a robust aspect to your family. It's there. It's present. It works for you. And it does work for you because they're a huge part of your life, right? Yeah, they are. Right? And you don't have kids. Right. But still you have that, right? Yeah, that's what I think kind of that's what the universe does. Yeah. It kind of... You don't have this, so they give you that. It kind of compensates yeah. for it. Um, I, I I remember I wrote an article about you once. Remember, uh, you know, and yeah, you almost got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, why? Why it was about your cat remember? rescue? Why? Why? Because did I... it was. Remember, was that the one where we went out at night together? Oh yeah. So so let's let's okay. get into the whole cat thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> like you were supposed to be a secretary. I don't know if they call them that, an administrative assistant. Like your mom was sent, your mom sent you to secretarial yeah, school? It was called that. I went to that. secretarial school I and I skipped the first six weeks. I didn't want to go. <laughs> I didn't want to be a secretary. You know, Jerry Seinfeld, I don't want to be a secretary. Yeah, I didn't want to be a secretary. I wanted to be an actor or something. I had so much inside me. I just Character. couldn't get it out. Yeah. I didn't know how to funnel it. I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 you're a good typist though. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Like, pretty how fast. fast do you type? We had, a, we had a contest once, you yeah. and I. I'm pretty fast. I don't know anymore, but um, oh, I can't stand sitting at a, a desk typing. <laughs> and I, I, I can't stand it. Like, now that I've 
Your whole body language has changed. Yeah, like there's a part of it that does make me feel good that I know how to do that because I like to do things and put things in order. But secretarial school is like taking, I don't know, it's like taking a cat and putting it in a university class. Or something. That's a really bad example, but I get your that point. That is a terrible example. It really right? is, yeah. But I get your point. I get your point. Yeah. But I think it's... Now I think it's adorable that your mom sent you to, and she she felt she was doing the right thing. As, my as mother your, was your an father, executive secretary. And you're sitting there, and you probably did you ever learn shorthand? No, um, no. My mother is a professional at Pittman shorthand. Is she? Yeah, Pittman. A very dying art. Um, I didn't learn shorthand, but I learned a few things. Okay. Like for instance, if I had to word, write the word walking, anything with an ing on it, I would just write the word walk and put an underscore under the K. Oh, And that okay. would tell me that's an I-N-G. Okay. So I had stuff like that I could do. What's the short form for with? There's none. It, it's W-W, and it's, it's just W with the line? Oh, yeah, with? that might be, yeah. Right, anyways, doesn't matter. So listen, I, I uh, so yeah, so you missed the first six weeks. And you know the old saying, miss the first six weeks of secretarial school, you're out. <laughs> I was <laughs> always a bit dopey. So my first, you just reminded me, my first job I ever got as a secretary in a in Montreal in a company. I was a dopey little girl anyway. You know, that's why I can't believe they put me in secretarial college. I would do things like in my first job, someone would come in to see my boss. And uh, the guy's name was um, Yves Saint Amour. So I'd go, Mr. Howick, Yves Saint Laurent's here to see you. (laughs) 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 I would do stuff like that all the time. He thought I was the biggest dope, but they liked me. I was fun. I I knew what I was doing, but I was dopey, and I would do things like that. Yeah, that's the thing about those jobs. Like, you can't really be dopey. I mean, it's nice that it was an ingratiating <laughs> you know, thing. It was. I'm, I'm also dopey. I miss points. I don't hear things. Yeah, yeah I, I got way too much going. shit going on in my head, so I don't hear half the things people say. I'm lucky that I get yeah. through the day. <laughs> it's funny, though. This is the funniest <laughs> one is a guy named um, Don DeLuca came in. He was a regional manager from some other pan company, and I said, Mr. Howick, Don DeLuise is here to see you. <laughs> I love that. Did, did he get a kick out of it or was he upset? I heard Hickey. This guy never smiled, okay? But he smiled. You weren't allowed to take anything to your desk. I His office was all the way. I heard him laughing in the <laughs> office, okay? Even he thought. I remember when I got married, he said to me, came over to my desk. He said, Roz, don't invite me because I won't be coming, but I'd like to give you a gift. And I said, okay. Do you remember what his gift was? No. But I thought that was really nice, the way he came over and said, don't worry don't, about inviting me because we're not going to come. But we'd like to give you something. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been coughing a lot lately. So, okay, fine. So so secretarial school doesn't work out. Uh, well, I, I did. I actually went for the rest of it. But. Okay, so it did work out. So then well, you and I met at the United Jewish Appeal. I was yeah. there from 1990 to the end of 96. Um, you know, let's put it on the table. Yeah. We fell in love. Yeah. So I see you coming, walking toward me yeah. at the UJ and the, yeah. this cute little thing. I remember what you said about it. I was wearing a little oh, red skirt. You're adorable. All the people, all the older women weren't very nice to me at UJ. They were like, don't you worry. Know, when you've been here a while, you're not going to look like that. They, they stayed to me. They stayed for 40 years, Roz. And then by I know large, I stood out. I stood out because I was dressed had a, really prof- I had really, remember how nice I used to dress? You twinkle was, in your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. You had I this, said beautiful blouses and skirts. You remember? were working out twice a day, remember? I was a, I was a workout fanatic. So oh, so yep. there was a certain aspect to those days yep. where you were really concentrating on your physical who you were 
And uh, I remember you walking to me, and I thought, oh, there's an adorable little thing. Um, and we started well, dating. I remember, we dated. I, I remember I came into, I, I was walked into your office to be introduced, and you said, sit down, whatever. And then you just picked up the phone. And you called somebody and you got, I don't know, $5,000. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. How did he do that? I was, it was showing like, off. I was showing off. But it was amazing. And uh-huh. then I remember you asked me one day to go to a bar mitzvah in the morning. And I remember saying to you, sorry, I have a workout class. I never miss my, my step classes. And then, do you remember, we went Christmas downtown <laughs> to feed at this church. Yeah. And I got your car. You got out the car and it was standard and I knocked something and the car ended up in the middle of the street. And I, was <laughs> I remember we were in the car together. I went in the store. I said, Ross, don't touch anything. Yeah, I'll be yeah, right. yeah. And I come out and the car's in the middle of the road. Lucky we didn't get in an accident. Well, why, do you, why were you playing with the stick shift? I don't remember what happened, but you, I couldn't stop it. Yeah, that's, like the, Don, get, that's like the Don DeLuise thing. Yeah, it's yeah like, exactly. <laughs> I'm lucky. That was your red car. So, so oh my God. Car. So we were together three years. Yeah. And and we lived downtown. We moved downtown. We moved in together. We we for lived three at three months. For three months at Queen and Broad Broadview. Yeah. Which is a real seedy area. That was crazy. Really? Shots wasn't it? All over the place. You remember yeah. that? Yeah. The first Funny, day though, we weren't that scared. Well, maybe because we were younger and just yeah, yeah. not knowing what was going on. But I remember the first day I moved in there, I'm walking literally at the the uh, junction of Queen and Broadview, yeah. and someone shoots the window out in the Seven Eleven. Oh my. God, you know those that. moments, Roz, where you think, what have I done? Yes. That was yeah. that what have yeah. I done moment. Yeah. But then it got even worse because I had a dog by the name of Max. Yeah. Max was a German Shepherd. And he had, what was it, fear biting? Fear yeah, biting? Yeah, fear biting. Well, what is that fear biting? So that's when a dog is, um, It's a, so people think when a dog bites, they're aggressive. But a lot of dogs lash out and bite because they're actually afraid. So it's like, I'm going to get you before you get me. <laughs> really? It's like the know. mafia. We didn't yeah. know that about Max. And I remember going to the bathroom so many times in your house yeah. in the middle of the night. And he would just stand there like in a stance like this. I was even scared. But he yeah. never hurt anyone. Well, he did bite a few people. He bit That was when, later on in life, right? When yeah. When he was getting a bit... Uh, yeah. Now, I remember your stories. You told me, Alvaro, well, last night I woke up, I had to go to the bathroom, and there's Max cornering cornering me with, with his teeth. Did he show his teeth? No. How did I... You see, then it's too bad I didn't know a lot about dogs then. What would you have done? Well, there would have been ways. I would have always made sure there's treats in the bathroom. Like, there's ways oh, to yeah, accommodate yeah. Yeah. what you need. Yeah. Yeah. I would have had different strategies. I loved I loved Max. Remember I used to spoon Max? Ugh, Max was amazing. Remember that? He wasn't amazing. No, he wasn't. I feel so badly that we didn't know what was wrong. Well, what was wrong? Okay, so we weren't amazing either. <laughs> no, because we should actually had a trainer or somebody come in to help us with him. I know, I know. But, you know, such is life. I had him, by the way, I had Max from the time he was eight weeks old till the time he passed. It's amazing. And I have to tell you something. Yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna to move into your whole animal thing in a second because I know you have a ton to say on this. But I took him to the uh, veterinarian to... Um, is that what they use, the term put him down? Do they use that term? We're going to put him down? Fortunately, yes. Well, why do, what is that, put him down? I know, I hate that term. What would you say? Euthanize. End his life or, or end, something. End of life, euthanize. Yeah. So I walk him through the park where where I had walked him when I first got him and started training him. And he was, oh, Roz, he was so dopey. Like he was senile by then. Yeah. You know senile animals, right? Then they're, they're not conscious. They're not aware. So sad. Isn't it? Oh, my God. It's the worst. A glaze in their eyes. But I threw a stick and he went for it. And he had dysplasia, which means his hips weren't good. So he like, I remember he fell. 
and and anyways, long and short of it is, I took him into the vet, and when when you end a, an animal's life, you give them two shots, right? Yeah. The first is sort of to stabilize them, to give them anesthetize them. Yeah, the first shot is to kind of put them out. They just slowly go to sleep. Right. And then the second shot is the... Um, right. So I, I didn't want to stay in after the first shot. And recently I've heard criticism of that, and I have to tell you something. Okay. Screw you, not it's you. Okay. Screw you. If a person doesn't want to be in there when their dog takes their last breath, that's their choice. And to be critical, you know, people were saying, can you imagine an animal in its very last moment of life is alone? No, Max was not alone. He was not alone. Right. You know, I was with him for that first shot. I did not want to be there with him when he took his last uh, breath. And I right. and I knew he was in capable hands. And he had me from the beginning of his life to the end. So right. I resented that. that. I resented that. Am I, am I wrong? No, no. Listen, I try not to judge in that respect. If I'm at, um, If I'm at work... I work in a vet now, but if I'm at work and somebody doesn't want to do it and they don't, I'm always make sure I'm there with the pet. Yes. Um, it is true that we want, you know, the, the best scenario is that you go with the smell and the scent and the hearing of what you know clearly, right? Okay. All right. But you are right. When you give the first shot, they're basically out. Right. So what was what would have been your hesitation? Be oh, because it would have been the finality. Because even though he's out, he's still alive, right? It was the finality of the last shot. But not you. conscious. Right. No, not conscious. Anyway, so listen. So, again, we're going to jump forward. Um, you know, you went through all the stuff that we went through. You had a marriage. That didn't quite work out, right? It didn't quite work out. No, well, yeah. Right. It's another show. <laughs> Part B. another show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a trilogy. <laughs> um, but here's the fascinating part. Um 2004-ish, you're driving down a street where there was this very popular restaurant called Steve's Restaurant. Used to be a truck stop, by the way. Yeah, it used to be right. A truck the stop. one it used to be under the bridge a bit further. It was south. that Carmichael, and then yep. it moved a little north. This yep. is in Toronto. Moved a little north past the bridge, and it became like a, not a deli, but what would it be like a breakfast place. Oh, breakfast place. And a lot of people like going there. Collinson was that the street? Like like that, one of those streets. Okay, okay so uh, so you're driving down the street, and um, again, you had no formal affiliation with animals at that point. You weren't working for any organizations, hmm. but you saw a feral cat. Yeah, so I was pulling in to meet my friends at Steve's for lunch, and you know how you pull into a driveway to yeah. back out onto the street. I pulled in to this driveway, and I saw this family, this adorable little kittens and mom looked like two moms they were all tabbies and i'm like oh my god without even thinking i pulled my car to the you know to the curb ran to the convenience store and got food it was yeah. an instinct i knew i had to feed yes put down food went to the lunch told everyone da, da, da. and then of course the next day i'm like i gotta go back now to see what's happened so i go back and then well then i have to come back again long story short i end up getting all the kittens off the street um, both cats off the street. One I got adopted. I called, I looked on the internet. I found a group called Annex Cat Rescue, which is still around today. Mm -hmm. We still work with a great group. They said to me, well, you have to trap this cat. And I'm like, what do you mean trap this cat? Well, you have to start, you know, holding back feeding. And I'm like, what? I, I don't, I'm like, there's no way. I, I was so anxious. There's no way I'm, they're missing a meal. Yes. So that stopped me for a bit. And then finally I realized if I don't do something, we're going to have more kittens. And then, so I started to trap, and they recouped the cat for me after surgery. 
I got it adopted. I couldn't believe it. I remember I was working at UJ. I put a thing out to everyone. I got the cat adopted. I thought, wow, this is awesome. I just got a cat and a whole family off the street. Yeah, yeah. And then it just started to snowball from there. Right. So so this is really a, a wonderful story about a person who I've always felt in your previous life, you must have been a cat. Uh, do, do you, does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, I always say. Like, it. what are the similarities between you and cats? I live very high up. I like to be high. Um, I don't like to be, you know, I don't like people in my face too much. So yeah. I like my personal space. Um, I like to cuddle. And. What is a cat's personality, Roz? How do you define, how are cats, let's say, different than dogs? So. Dogs, I find, are more animal, like more people related. So my theory is that a dog is, if it's with you, you can take a dog anywhere because it's with you. But a cat is more territorial. So a cat needs to stay in the same place. They do not like change. That's, I find, the difference, the only difference in terms of affection, in terms of, you know, having a relationship. It's all what you put into it. I say this to everyone. Like, people will say, my cat's not affectionate. Really? So what are you doing? Do you do anything? Because you're not just automatically, it's like a child. You have to teach people. You teach love and you teach touch and you teach everything. So if you would see one of my cats at home, Michael Jason, you'd be amazed. I come home, the guy's tail's up in the air. Right away, the second I walk in that door, he's with me the entire night. Right. Wherever I go, whatever I do, I know what he wants. Because I've people who work with animals have to learn body language. You have to learn so many subtleties because they can't speak. Yes. So that's the challenge working with animals. Is it, so, so who would be a cat person and who would be a dog person? It's funny. I don't really know how to answer that because I thought I was only a cat person. And I'm getting into dogs. You are. You walk a dog regularly. I walk the most amazing dog, Sterling. Yeah. Sterling's he, not the pit bull, right? No, Jade was. Jade was. You weren't afraid of that pit bull at all. I'm I would not, not let my son anybody. near a pit bull. I wouldn't. Jade was raised as a puppy with um, children. The vet was very smart. She was raised with children, with grandchildren. It's true, if put in a situation, that dog could probably have hurt somebody. But my walks with Jade were all humane education. I'd walk through the park and people yeah. would come up That's or cool. they'd be running the other way. I'd go, don't worry. And I would talk to them about the breed. Yes. That's what I am when I'm out everywhere. I'm yak, yak, yakking to people all the time. Yeah, you're but well, I used yeah, it well. as a good opportunity for humane education. So so, so you, you started to get into cats more so. I've seen you in environments uh, with cats. And the first instance I think that is very memorable is when you and I were walking through a park. And um, I saw this little head, you know, stick, stick its little head up from, from a bush. And I said, Roz, I think there's a cat over there. Um, Sweet. Yeah. You, you, uh, you have tears in your eyes it's again, okay. eh? We still miss her so much. So we, we adopted her, but let's just get to that for a second. Anyways, so we go in the bush. You, you really took over. Once I saw, I always take credit for finding Sweet. <laughs> of course. But, but you're really the one who deserves the credit for saving her life. So we, we go in and you see, and her, like, her paw was entirely mangled, remember? Yeah. She was so, she was emaciated, remember? Well, yeah, entirely mangled. One of your tears just fell yeah. on my table. Sorry. No, just leave it there. I like that. So, so, anyways, we go and and we pick up 
this little cat whom we ultimately adopted and called yeah. Sweetie. And um, and remember we started going around from vet to vet to vet. I'm not a big fan of vets, Roz. I'm not a big fan of vets. Well, you didn't have a good experience. No, and they charge a fortune. Like a fortune, no matter if it's a crisis at 3 in the morning or not. Like, you, you can't help but think that you're getting taken advantage of. Really, I'm. do you, do you disagree really? with me? Well, a lot of people think that. But now that I work in a vet, I can kind of understand what goes on and how much things cost. Do they cost a lot? Well, yeah, like there's certain things you can't, like x-rays, um, blood work, things that go to the um, the lab every day. We don't really have a lot of okay. leeway on. Okay. Um, I guess uh, examination fees, there's leeway. And there's, there's some okay. leeway, okay. but so we I know what you're saying. A so, lot so, of people Right, so we take like Sweetie that. or the ultimate Sweetie around to these different vets, and everybody says, it's, well, it's going to be like $150,000. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I said, I don't know why I didn't think of it, but ultimately we took him to my vet, who was a real... Do you remember Don Mills? Yeah. If you're fine, you're Don Mills veterinarian, fine people, like very righteous. Very. No problem, we'll take him in, right? And then we go the next day. Oh, remember you bought cat food for Sweetie? <gasps> God, remember she almost ate the tin. Yeah, she, almost she was ate the tin. so hungry when we picked her up. I said to Avram, "We need to go to a store right now, like immediately, to get food." And she almost ate the can. Remember, I was yeah. bawling my yeah, eyes out. Yeah, you were crying remember? your eyes out. <gasps> and when you cry, like you really cry. Yeah, it's coming from a very deep place. It is coming. So, so anyway, so we go in there the next day, and the vet says, "Listen, there's a problem here," and he starts being very uh, gentle in terms of his description yeah. of where sweetie's at yeah. and i said you remember what i said to the yeah, guy Avram goes so you could take the leg off or not yeah you could exactly. amputate and i'm like right. what he goes yes i was shocked i yeah. said then do it yeah right so they amputated <coughs> excuse me they amputated sweetie's paw and and then you took sweetie in yeah we, we weren't living together no but you took sweetie in and that was your second cat and how was she with only three paws she adopted immediately yeah. i was do you remember when we brought her home i started bawling when i saw the incision i'm like we made a huge mistake yes and um no it was the best thing she was such a strong by the way it's a generalization but calico cats in general for anyone that knows very strong hardy cats are they yeah she was a strong hardy cat and she did amazing remember i mean we had stuff all over the house for her like we had stairs we had all kinds of stuff set up to make her you know getting around easier up and down places but she was such a little angel. She'd you, sleep with me every night. You loved her dearly. Oh, God, I love that cat, yeah. When did really she, miss her. When did she pass away, sweetie? A few years ago. I actually. came to the vet. And Avram came, which was so sweet. I Thank called you, you remember? Because we'd already made a pact. Yes. If something happened, I would call you. And I called you. And um, Lawrence was there, your husband. My husband was there. And Avram came. And you came in the room, remember? I probably left too before she. I'm such a wuss. <laughs> I know. <laughs> such a wuss. That's okay. You were talking to Lawrence, in the, um, which was so nice that you were there. I have to tell you something. Inside of me, I'm uh, I'm I'm a mess when those in those situations. I, I'm a real mess, yeah. and um, I uh, I get very frightened. And uh, it's not yeah. only a physical, emotional. It's also an existential fear. Like here, this entity is losing its life and i don't even know how to define that yeah. well so i get really frightened yeah. that's why i leave but i'm frightened i'm sure and no, that's understandable are, are you frightened it's interesting i make i'm able to make the decision like i knew i knew when it had to happen same with donnie our other cat i'm somehow able to make that decision because the thought of suffering is too painful for me yes so that's how i do it you've um, held animals in your arms when they oh. die so many of them. What's a, what's that like? Own. What's it like? 
It's really hard. Um, but you know what? If they're suffering in that, you just know they're going into peace. So I just say to myself, you know, they're going to peace. They're going to... We have this saying in the rescue world, Rainbow Bridge. Rainbow Bridge is where supposedly all the animals end up. And then um, they're all playing together and they're happy and healthy. So you'll see a lot of times someone will send a poem or they'll s send you a note about Rainbow Bridge when your pet passes. Um, I had a very unfortunate situation for me. One of my cats that was sick with cancer two years ago did not have the second shot. I thought the two shots. He didn't tell me that yes. he was not doing the first shot. So I was holding her in my arms and he did the shot and all of a sudden she was gone. And I'm like, what happened? And Because he, he came in with two syringes. And I said, you should have, I freaked out and I said, you should have told me. Yeah. He said, well, when a cat is this far gone and I go, well, Still, I didn't know. So I always recommend that first shot. Can you feel when the life goes out of the animal? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And I always do a prayer. Always do a prayer. Like what sort of prayer? Um, something like, may your soul rest in heaven, your special, your special time on earth. And, you know, I'll do something like that. And always if I see a dead animal on the road, I do that too. Do you? After I pick it up. If I, yeah. Do you know, I always I, do that. Do you know, oh, you'll stop? and and I used to stop a lot, and it got really... Um, messy. Messy, yeah. But what would you do when you stopped? I have a car, like, set up for rescue, so I would always have, I'd grab a towel, take the raccoon or the squirrel or the cat or whatever was in the middle of the street, because I can't stand to see an you, animal dead and people driving over it. Like, you wouldn't do that to a human. You would bloody hell stop your car and get out and move it aside i don't care it's dead it's disgusting okay i can't take that so no i i or if i can't do it i'll call the city but i used to always do it i got grossed out once because i saved i picked up a raccoon once a few years ago that was so big and so mangled i i kind of got sick of it yeah you know but i had to do it and i will still do it I don't care what it is. I don't. I think that's so rude that you drive over something that's yes. dead. Yes. It shows absolutely no respect for the life that that animal had. So, so you start to move into uh, cat care. Yeah. More specifically, cat rescue. Yeah. One night we're talking, and you uh, were really well into your cat rescue stuff, and you said you were going out that night at uh, two a.m. Yeah. Right to uh, there were some feral cats that you had to feed. Um, no, this is the cat that got out of the carrier that we lost. Right. So, so I asked if I could come along. Yes. Right. Right. So, so tell that story. I came along. We're running through people's so backyards. Pick up the at like two in the morning. Yeah. Um, we had a cat that we were supposed to adopt. It got out of the carrier. It was really devastatingly traumatic and we were looking for it still so we had set up traps all around the area 24 7 with everyone on a shift my shift was two to something so i told everyone i was going out and he said hey let me come with you so we went out and um i'll be honest i was petrified going out there by myself at two three in the morning in people's backyards checking a trap um but i i had to go because i felt it was my responsibility i'd lost you know that carrier came open on my time and it was my job to find this cat and avram came out with me and unfortunately that was not in the trap when we went and to this day we never found the cat 
But but we're running through people's backyards, I remember. Right. Like, we were going through people's backyards. We were checking the traps in the backyard. Yeah, yeah. And how long did you do this for, where you would go out in the middle this of the night? This was like for probably four months. Four months? Three, four months. I was devastated. I mean, it was right in the early of my career, too. I had not gotten as um, level or more grounded than I am now. Right, right. So so all of this sort of leads up to it's around 2006, uh, you're building your character as a, uh, you're sure that you're a cat lover at this point. You didn't care what people said because people would really dump on you oh, for being such time, a... member? Well, I don't know what that was all about, but I remember sitting around the table and the whole issue of your love of cats yeah. and taking care of it cats really and feline. It frightening to people around me. And you were like passionate, so passionate at that point. You were at like, at that point you were like taking a hammer and smashing it over the, the people's heads to convince them how important it was to rescue yeah. cats. I'd gone through that with my humanitarian work, that's but eventually right. you have to move away because people start to move away from you. Yeah. But that's where you were at. So, and, and people would dump all over you oh, for that. Oh, you'd be so upset with me. Yeah, very upset. What, what, for my family, I guess, they thought I could do so much better. That's right. But for my friends and my, I don't know, like it was shocking to me it still is actually today i don't know if you notice but i don't talk about it anymore no. when i go out i don't talk and if you ask me a question i'll be happy to answer it if someone's interested in hearing what i'm doing no problem but not like i used to i used to go everywhere blah, blah, blah. no right shut it down. right so 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 it's around 2006 and um you you join an organization they're out there uh this was foster and feline yeah right and and and, and they were involved in rescue and adoption right so what was your function? So I took over as president, and um, I thought I was some big shot. And me and this woman, Ruth, we were doing it together, and we oh, we did a ton of stuff. We were like, we were like, someone once told us, we were like two meteors meeting in the universe. We come together, and I mean, we did so much in that first two years. It like, was like insane. What? Like what? Bringing in kittens, adopting them. Um, she was working as a, Ruth was working as a, um, She's a shidduch. She used to make shidduchs. And I'd be like matches. She was yeah, a matchmaker. And I'd be calling her from everywhere. Where am I? I'm, in, I'm out in Scarborough. Where are the kids? You know, like we would just be, it was crazy. Um, we did a lot of great work and she was so kind. She opened up her home to all these kittens and cats. Did she? And her son and her husband thought we were crazy. Um, like how many cats would she have had in her house? So there was one point where we had uh, maybe th two litters, three litters in her house. So we'd have one in the den. We'd have a mother downstairs with another litter, maybe one upstairs, maybe an adult cat, whatever we, you know, it was amazing. But we were, we wouldn't hoard them, like we would get them adopted. Yes. But it started to be evident very early in rescue that if you don't have money, you, it's hard to rescue animals. Because? because most of the rescue with animals, besides the obvious bringing them in for shelter and food, is veterinary medicine. Okay. Which I didn't know. So it's only... Like, I had no idea going into it. No idea. Now I'm in it, and I've been in it many years. This is such a big part of it that people don't understand, you know? And the vets give you discounts, but it's really expensive, and so many things could go wrong with animals. This right. is the problem. Right. Just like people. And, and also, when your animal's aging, like a people, it's going to cost you more money. You're going to have to take more drugs, so, whatever. So you have all these cats. Would you consider yourself at that time to be a cat lady? Yeah. I was very obsessed at that point. Obsessed? I was. I was not doing anything social. 
I was only rescuing cats. I was only hanging out with people that were working with me. And I was not interested in anything else. Yeah, why were you so obsessed? What were you trying to accomplish? At the time, I thought I was doing like an amazing thing. I was really helping lives. I was saving lives. I know they're not human lives, but I was saving lives. And a lot of my work did involve people, helping people surrender their cats, helping people adopt cats, helping people, you know, spay their cats. Um, I'll be honest, after all the thinking and everything, I'm really starting to think that it comes back to, you know, all the rescuing that I do is kind of, I thought about it because I've been in therapy that maybe, maybe I've been waiting to be rescued. Maybe this is, it's of course I love these animals, don't get me wrong, but even up to last night, last night, you know where I was last night? No. I was at North York General Hospital. Oh, Why? Because somebody said there was a cat outside the door trying to get in the hospital. Uh-huh. Nobody, out of a hospital of thousands of people coming and going, I got a call. So I ran out there last night. And? Of course, there's no cat. There's no cat. But I was so desperate to get this cat. And I started to wonder, where is this desperation coming from? And I realized, I need, I need to take something that can't speak, that's in trauma, that's clearly, clearly in trauma and ended up in a situation in its life that it didn't expect and I need to take it and hold it and cuddle it and say, it's gonna be okay. I am going to save you. I'm not sure where that comes from at all. But I've been thinking about that. And and, and do you feel as though you've accomplished that? Hmm. Yes, many times, many times. It's not enough, it's kind of like I still, it's not enough. I got to go back to the hospital later just to make sure. Okay. But why? I'm like, so don't understand why the universe, why wouldn't the universe wait for me to get there to get this cat? So then I thought, well, maybe somebody picked up the cat. Yeah. Maybe some nice person. What if then, but then my fear is what if the cat ran off? That's my fear. So people don't know this, but whenever I'm asked to go out to a rescue, so they, someone says they've seen a cat. Can you come and there's always the back of my head i'm always thinking what if i don't get there in time and the cat is gone and where does your thought go after that complete failure complete like i've missed a life yes how could i miss a life yeah um and now complete anxiety about what's happened to that cat where is that cat you know today i'm going to start because i know a lot of people in the shelters i'm going to call the shelters to see if somebody brought it in i have to ask you know what what color and things like that. You know, when people, when I have to ask these questions, you know, I don't want people to think I'm being trite and I only, you know, don't want to rescue certain color. I need to know color. I need to know things because it helps me when I need to go to shelters and I need to get the word out there. What am I looking for? I can't, you know what I mean? So, so would you say that you have a healthy approach to cats and animals in general? I'd say it's probably not as healthy. I'd say it definitely has a lot of anxiety with it. I don't think it's, I can't say it's that healthy, but I can't stop it. And I don't say that, and I mean, it's not unhealthy to rescue anything. It's unhealthy when anything's done in all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my thinking is all or nothing. Mm -hmm. So if I don't get this cat, now I'm gonna be like really upset I didn't get this cat. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And really upset that I wasn't called sooner. And really upset I didn't jump on it sooner. And really upset that no one else, you know. Now, eventually I will forget it, hopefully, because there'll be mm-hmm. another situation that'll turn my head in a second. But it's just, why, why, why couldn't I have been there last night? Only I just pray to God it was rescued. Well, I, I, I tell you, listening to all of this, it's really quite fascinating that you're still in the game because you go through so many internal sort of machinations strife and dynamics it's almost like boom 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 it's it's Mm -hmm. like when you play pinball yeah your soul is kind of bouncing all over the place am i going to rescue this cat is it going to die you know have i done enough have i not done enough why aren't people doing more for cats i mean you go through so much Mm -hmm. it's really quite surprising that you're really you're still in the game I've worked really hard on trying to become more of a professional than an emotional person approach. I find dealing with the public, it makes sense to deal in a very, um, like you need to, when we're dealing with people, you need to deal in a very normal professional approach. You can't go running around going, oh, this guy. Once you show emotion, you've lost credibility. Right. Unfortunately, in this field. You have to appear to be sane. Sane. I've oh I've noticed I don't know if anyone else has but I've even changed the way I talk. Mm. Okay, I've changed the way I talk because I try to now I want things to be more concise. I used to babble on about cats. I'm trying to be more precise, especially when helping people, so we can get to the you know situation and try to help the cat. So 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 what I love about you, and this is really the essence of this episode, is the transitions that you've gone through, the evolution um, of life, right? that you have uh, experienced, again, starting out as a little girl with all that anxiety, moving to Montreal, moving to Toronto, doing your secretarial stuff, working for the United Jewish Appeal in fundraising, and then ultimately finding your passion or, let's say, embracing your passion and, and starting to do some very serious, really beautiful work out there. Comes along, so 2000 and four to seven you're working with foster and feline and and i saw you mature and i saw you become a leader in the cat yeah. in, in, in i really in the felt cat like industry. a leader for my first time you, you were Roz. you became an incredible leader and you made decisions that were very very uh difficult for you to make and then you become innovative and 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 let's face it the greatest leadership is where you change a paradigm of thinking mm-hmm. where all of a sudden people start to realize that you know what we need to we need to we need to rescue these cats but let's not call it rescue let's change the language right yeah which is what you did yeah. at urban cat relief so walk us through that whole the urban cat relief to me was generation the greatest, of you the greatest name because it because i realized right then and there if we want to do some work, if we really want to help animals, we, you know, I always tell people you have to learn to work with people or else you cannot help animals. You can't be in a vat by yourself. It's not going to work. So we try to bring something different to the Toronto, which was ur- urban currently. So urban was we were dealing in an urban environment. This thought, is an organization you started. This organization. Yeah. Well, some will. Yeah, I guess I did start it. Um I was in the prime then, you're right. I was feeling really confident. So the urban was we were dealing in urban animals. Cat was the cats and relief was the way of humanizing it because every other rescue had said rescue. Rescue turned out to have a very negative connotation and a very kind of 
like very negative. We knew, noticed when we said relief, people were like, oh, relief. Oh, well, what kind of relief do you do? Oh, you know, we relieve this and that. We relieve suffering. We relieve. And I started to realize that that was the way to go. Also, selfishly, I knew that was the way to try and get more money. It's a fundraise. Fundraising because. Good leadership, though. Really? Yes. Because I knew you're not going to get money with rescue and stuff. There's no money, but relief. And we tried to so be professional. And we all were on the same page. And that's how we grew Urban Cat Relief. But, Avram, I'm not such an innovator because I don't. we don't have Urban Cat Relief anymore. Well, right. What happened to it? We turned it into Community Cats Toronto, which was when I was in the crux of my feral cat, working with the city, working with all the shelters. We had a coalition, and we brought Trap Neuter Return to the city. Trap Neuter Return. Trap Neuter Return to the city was when we trap cats that are wild. We ear tip them, fix them, spay them, vaccinate them, microchip them, and they go back to where they were found, where somebody continues to feed and shelter them. We have shelter building workshops. Um, we have, so I'm not on the committee anymore, but that's, we, the other thing we do is give courses. So this is, this is the next step in, in relief work is you realize you can't do everything yourself, yes. right? So I used to drive everywhere in the city. Now I realize it can't be everywhere. So the city and we all decided to do a course, a workshop that we offer people once a month for three hours for $25, everything you need to know about trap neuter return trapping a cat fixing it returning it back mm-hmm. and the city gives you everything free if mm-hmm. you do that okay so we've seen day one i started rescue i was like people calling me names and even my own family was like what's wrong with you all of a sudden now we're 10 12 years later and the city has now got s- things in place now like trap neuter return actually helps decrease euthanasia in shelters like right. we've seen so much great work from this right so I realized I wasn't that crazy after all because the city got on board and now we do courses. I'm not with Community Cats anymore because um, I'm a bit of a scatter. I wanted to go back to community rescue. So I rescue, I now volunteer with another group and called Forgotten Ones. And um, it's a more smaller community, but it's interesting. I find myself back in the streets. I don't think I could ever get it. I think that's my, that's who I am. I try I don't, I'm not really that interested, you know, in adoptions anymore. Even though I want to get them adopted, I just want to focus more on the field work. Yeah, by the way, the that field. that is a very uh, that's not a non unusual uh, evolution no? of leadership. Not at all. I find with myself too, as I ran an organization called Viafta for mm-hmm. 22 years, and now I want to get back into the street too. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, do I do. Well, is? I tell you why. Administration it sucks the life out of you. And yeah, you and I both know that when you run an organization, you're involved in Excel sheets, you're involved in yeah. hiring and firing, you're involved in placating volunteers and donors. And uh, that's not too many people were put on this earth for that. Some people are extraordinarily good at it, yeah. but I wasn't. Um, but I, I'm empathetic and I, and I like to respond to the needs of humankind. Right. So that's what I want to do. And in your case, it's very wise that you're back on the street because that's where you belong and you're really good at it. So we only have a few minutes left, Ros, but very, very quick question here. What is your philosophy? Or let's be a little brash here. What might be people's philosophy having to do with where animals fit in our world? How should we approach animals in terms of available resources, 
um, our feeling for them, the language that we use. You've, you've actually used the word humanize a number of times in yeah. this interview. Not a word I would use. Yeah. But I trust you, Roz, because you're right. I know you very well. And when it comes to your caring for cats and dogs, etc., I would say right up there is caring for humankind mm -hmm. and their relationship to the animals. It's not just the animals themselves. Right. Whereas there's some people out there in your industry who are absolutely wacko. They don't right. want to even, they don't, they just take, there's a lot of people who just rescue them in their home, bring them in, and that's where they live out their life, which sometimes is not very healthy. It may they, not be. Because they don't want to go with other people. They don't trust other people. But I, th I think it's people like you who bring a very healthy complexion well, I, to the Well, that's what I've animal. been trying to do. So, so what's your philosophy? Well, how should we look at this? Well, I feel like, it's a very interesting question. You're such a good question. Thank you. Person. <laughs> Thanks. That you make, you know, you make people stop before they actually talk. Thanks, Roz. My philosophy is, like every living thing on the earth, animals were put on the earth for various reasons. I realize that the past shows us some of the reasons they were used, and present and the future shows us where we might go. I understand that animals were first put on the earth to help people. I understand that and accept that. Um, but as we've evolved as a species, yeah. I believe that it became our responsibility to start caring for those animals that fed us and did other things for us. And then I evolved to, well, you know what? How great would it be for those animals, you know, some of them to be inside and to be... Um, and some of the animals, like years ago, let's be honest, like the horses that are whipped when they're racing... Um, when you, I guess when you're getting to try and control an animal is where I would say you're not letting the animal live out its life and free. Okay. You know, and I believe, you know, my biggest thing in life is freedom, yes. which is why I've always had cats more than dogs because I find cats just signify freedom more because a cat, I don't even know how to say it, but it just, to me, it signifies, whereas a dog, you know, much more, you got to be with them all the time and going out and about. So the philosophy is to, like anything, like any person on life, you put on the earth, you should not be abused. You should not be hurt just for the sake of it. Yes. Um, I don't believe in hunting and killing, but I know it goes on. And I know it's to cull certain species, which I still can't get my head around. But if you're going to do what you're doing for animals, if you're going to eat them, which I still don't agree, at least do it humanely. Okay. Okay. We've shown now, studies have shown that animals have feelings and yes. emotions. Might not be 20 years old, but we now know that some dogs have the emotional capacity of a three-year-old. Right. Okay. So that means they feel pain. They see pain. I've seen dogs scared. I've seen cats scared. I just think the philosophy should be that you should be treating every animal with respect and care and... Um, trying like you do to every human being give them a life of like try and ease their life try and ease whatever you can some people it comes naturally and some people it doesn't if it doesn't come naturally to you don't do it if you don't like animals fine yes. don't have one but don't abuse it yes or if you find an animal and you think you can't help it call somebody drop it off at just do something do you know what i mean because we're all in this together my philosophy is that they should be treated with dignity and um, not not any pain. You should not be. They should not be suffering, like a child. And I see that it's actually getting more and more because I see how animals are coming up more in the world. So as I said before, I'm very happy that you Did that are. Answer the question, the philosophy. 
Well, to some extent, I mean, we could have a debate yeah. about aspects of it. But I think my real point is I'm really happy that you're a leader within that industry, within that field, because of the fact that you are so compassionate towards, if you will, all, all God's creations. Um, I think it's important to make a distinction between humankind and animals in terms of the resources that we allocate and mm. uh, how we treat humankind versus animals. Um, you're right. We should never, ever, ever abuse an animal. But in my, according to my own understanding of mm -hmm. life and the philosophies that I follow, it's okay to eat an animal, but slaughter it humanely, as you were saying. So we do diverge yeah, a little. Yeah, we do. Yeah, it's still hard we to do. get my head around. I hear you. I hear. But and I I'm also not think you should also just take in one more thing that yes. you've seen today. We now know what animals bring to people yes. the joy if you have anxiety you have depression you have alzheimer's you have all yeah. kinds of yeah. we now know dogs can actually um help you with uh, you right. know attacks we know the emotional now what people get out of having these animals so that's elevated so that's why i say working together we we can never i'm in sync with you there right i'm totally in sync so excuse me <clears throat> i want to conclude this interview firstly by thanking you mm -hmm. I mean, for so many things, Roz, you, you've inspired me over the years. You've made me happy um, in so many different ways. Uh, you also brought Lily, my cat, to me. I was always a dog lover. Yes. And you introduced me to cats, and I started falling in love with them because of you. And um, I, I fostered Lily because of you, and she's a beautiful, beautiful cat. I love her dearly, even though she wakes me up every morning at around 4 o'clock. <laughs> And she like bites away at my CPAP machine, the tube. I have to go to the CPAP office yeah. office this Friday, but it's okay. I still love her. Um, and she really like I, I'm I'm single. I'm alone here very often, but I feel far less alone because Lily's here. So thank you for yeah. that. You're so welcome. Yeah, I'm thank so you. happy. It worked out beautifully. I, I, I am happy because Lily couldn't go into home with other cats. She didn't like right. other cats, so it right. was like perfect. My son, my son loves Lily. Yeah. Interesting thing is, is, is we we fostered Lily, and then one day you brought over somebody who yeah. wanted to adopt her, and she walks you through my apartment. This person does, and I and I turn to you and I go, Roz, I, I'm not giving Lily up. And you got really angry. <laughs> Remember how Did angry? I? Well, well, the expectation was this woman would leave with the with the cat. Yeah. Although I, to be honest, I have, I've been in so many different situations. I've been in that situation. Have you? Yeah. Um, and sure, but you know what? It turned out to be a beautiful thing. And then mm. the good news is we, I think we adopted her somebody else. Y yes. She got another cat yeah. and I'm sure it's the cat she was meant yeah. to have. Yeah. Anyways, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Really, really appreciate it. Um, I hope I made a lot of sense. Yeah, you were marvelous. And, um, whenever you want to interview me again. Thanks, Ross. Yeah, absolutely marvelous. And I encourage, uh, people to help out. I is there a number, uh, an email? So if you find a cat or dog outside, well, you probably won't find a dog very often, but if you do, yes, you need to call, uh, Toronto Animal Services okay. because most dogs have a tag with a number and they would take the dog and then try to get a hold of the owner. When you find a cat, it's not that easy. Statistics show that more dogs are returned to their owners. I think it's 3% of cats. Oh, really? So if you find a cat outside, first thing does not mean it needs rescuing if you see it once. it's If it keeps coming back, you see it coming around meowing, it's looking for food, then you start saying, okay, you call a friend, you call a rescue, email a rescue, Toronto Animal Services will come pick it up. Um, Toronto Animal Services is now working with rescues, so... Uh, People might be scared to call them, but you can't leave a cat out 
freezing, especially in this Fine. winter. Fine. Is there cold. a clear phone number, email that you can give out or not really? Just have them look it up online? You can call me. Really? You give out your number? Um, actually, no. I don't think that's a great idea. No, don't I give get out your so number. many calls. Those, yeah. Well, I mean, you could go to our website, Forgotten Ones Cat Rescue. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay, so listen, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, please continue listening. I My goal for Hat Radio is to take it big because I, I want to really get out a message of positivity, right? Yeah. And such interviews as you and I did today are reflective of that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, and share the link. Oh, sure. I will. And just for all the listeners out there, everything of rum touches like turns to gold. So I have a feeling we're going to see more of Hat Radio around. No, oh, that's very nice of you to say that. It's not Cat Radio. It's Hat Radio. Hat Radio. I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> all right, all right. And do good stuff. Take on an issue. Fight anti-Semitism. And help help your fellow neighbor. Help anybody. Yeah. You know, you're walking down the street and you see someone struggling on the ice or with a bag. Give them a hand. Help them. Fight racism. And do it. Do it. Don't sit back and say it's not you. It is you. That's By the way, that's one of the most frustrating things that it I have. Is, yeah. I like, I'll bring an issue on, on Facebook or through an article that I write for the Canadian Jewish News. And people say, oh, yeah, people really have to get involved in that. Yeah. And, and I'll turn them around. Well, what do you mean people? You are people. Yeah. Right? So you do it. This is all part of why we started the course, because we need the community involved. If community does not involve, people like you and I can't do everything. You are people. You are people. That's right. a great word. Line, you are the people. You are, you are the people. And the moment you take yourself out of that, it's the moment you become invisible. Do not be invisible. Make this world a better place. Be courageous. Do it for yourself. Do it for Don't your children. There is yeah. more positivity. There's more goodness in our world than there is badness and evil. There is. I agree with that. I so agree with that. So use it. Yeah. Use and it. And look for it. Thank you for listening to Had Radio. It's the show that smoozes. I <laughs> got <laughs> It's the show that schmoozes. Do you like that? Yeah, I like that. Okay, thanks for us. Okay. Step God bless. Thank you. living room. Share a little talk Our roads walked and lessons learned Keeping the flame of faith burning I wanna know where you've been What you found out Spread some light in the darkness Spread it all about In the height In the height Put it all in the hat.